even though we knew dad locked into my athletic feistiness, yeah. he loved it. And we knew he locked into Warren's music and Warren's grades and even Warren's athletic teams, which drove me crazy because they were better than mine, even though I was the better oh, athlete. That Friars. Oh my gosh, that, that drove me run. crazy. I thought it was really cool, but I'm like, it was so cool. I'm better. This should be about <laughs> me. And I just couldn't get it. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. Part two of the Anderson sibling dynamic is underway. I'm Elliot Anderson. I am the middle child. Dr. Karen, of course, your favorite podcast host <laughs> in history, is the youngest <laughs> baby princess. And joining us again is our big brother, Dr. Warren Anderson, and he is the director of the DeMoss Center for Worship and Performing Arts. And we actually record most of these podcasts in the studio where he runs, and producer Tim May is a part of this professor team here at Judson in this capacity. We are sharing together part two. Please enjoy. So just this morning after our tennis lesson, my friend and I were talking about things you can add to coffee to derive even better and more comprehensive benefits from our morning caffeine. So of course, I told her about Magic Mind and all its benefits because while it enhances your caffeine in the morning, whether it's coffee or tea, you can get that boost of attention and concentration without having to drink what I used to do, drink way too many cups of coffee, and then I'm drinking it into the afternoon and I can't get to sleep at night and my belly starts hurting because of all the acid. But there's also all these other benefits, which I love. I've just been hearing a lot about lion's mane mushrooms and how that can help with anxiety. And as you guys know, on Love and Life, we are all about holistic, natural ways to support our mental health. And also lion's mane mushrooms reduce post-exercise inflammation. And we know that inflammation, I'm learning so much more about inflammation with these deep dives I've been doing into nutrition and inflammation is a natural process that our body uses to help us. But when it's out of whack, we can have too much inflammation and then that can lead to disease. So to reduce our post-exercise inflammation sounds like a really good idea as well. Thank you in advance for supporting Magic Mind. Your support of them helps support the program. And if you do check it out, be sure to use promo code LOVELIFE20, L-O-V-E, L-I-F-E-2-0. Use that promo code for 20% off at www.magicmind.co slash love life. Promo code love life 20. Even though we knew dad locked into my athletic feistiness, yeah. he loved it. We knew he locked into Warren's music and Warren's grades and even Warren's athletic teams, which drove me crazy because they were better than mine, even though I was the better oh, athlete. That Friars. Oh my gosh, that, that drove me run. crazy. I thought it was really cool, but I'm like, it was so cool. I'm better. This should be about me. <laughs> and I just couldn't get it. But I, was, I thought it was super cool. And he was a good was contributor. Cool. It wasn't like you weren't a major contributor. You were a 10 and 10 kind of guy, a glue kind of guy. Just and for the listeners, how long was your team undefeated? Five years, 135 and 0. That's insane. That is craziness. Anyone who's been in any athletic endeavor whatsoever will understand how incredible that is. Yeah. And my teams were good. They were yeah, like they 30 were and good. four and right. 31 yeah. and three. And then I felt like a failure. And I was the leading scorer by far and Warren wasn't, but I felt like my team's not that great. It's just that funny vibe. But yeah. it didn't make me hate him more or something because I already had pretty good, strong animosity, but it did drive me to keep doing better. And I had a gut instinct in my heart, not only because I knew I had good skills, I'm going to beat him in this area. I felt it. And I think he probably knew it. And he did push me to get better and better. And then at a point, you just left me alone. Yeah, you didn't. Right. You, you didn't, didn't need my need training my per se or anything else. And you just left me alone. But when I needed the musical help, I went to him. And I did allow him to coach me in that and say, come on, come play this gig with us. You can do it and believe in me. So we weren't threatened in the musical arena. He wanted to bring me along. I was, I, he might have felt threatened in athletics. He left me alone. Those, all those angles are so different in sibling relationship. And when it comes to something more important than athletics and music, like when it comes to really does mom love me as much as she loves you, ooh, that stuff can get really deadly. And we all know as parents now and step-parents now that you do have natural affinity easier with certain kids than you do others. Oh, yeah. Right? That's just reality and the truth. And so all those variables, when I watch my daughters compete for my attention, mm -hmm. and if I pick one of the daughters to ride with me in a certain place and not the other one, which I thought made total common sense, 
they can go to war in a heartbeat. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, that reminds me of when Warren and I were competing with who's going to go do errands with dad this Saturday or something, or who's going to go. And so you have those movements in different directions. And I think you did have the easier path yeah. with dad. Oh, for sure. But a harder path with mom. Which is ironic because I was the pain in the butt, thorn in her side, doing things. Oh, that I know. But then you'd be her. on her bed, like talking about girlfriends. Absolutely, and I knew I would how to work never it. Never share any of my crushes with her. I don't know. I was like, not. I was uncomfortable with it. I just you're starting to get you're getting those crushes, and I'm like, I don't want mom to know I have a crush on that boy. And you're just there, and then Julie, this. Well, I would tell her exactly what happened on the date, and eventually she's like, I don't want to know anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I can like, imagine. I was oversharing. Yeah, and part of it was manipulative, of course, but part of it was a different relationship, and I had that context. How was it manipulative? I'm telling her everything, then she's not going to think there's more. Oh. You've never been in a bunch of trouble to know how to play these systems. <laughs> I still truth love and... that the bad kid is now the pastor, it, it, well, making us look bad. That's the, Lord, the Lord's <laughs> that's work. That's redemption. <laughs> yeah. But I did honestly want to, I didn't, I didn't come home and go, I have to tell mom this. I like to. I yeah, wanted no, to. You enjoyed that. And it was a beautiful, I would look at it and be a little jealous of that. He's so comfortable sharing all this intimate stuff with mom. And, and just, I did. I wasn't there yet. Despite my craziness. Who kept the room the cleanest out of three of us? You. Mom's value. Who was the one who vacuumed the house without being asked? You. Even though it was just ADHD getting stuff out. We had the same passions with reading, and I could join mom with reading. She'd give me those books. I'd read them. So there was enough connection, despite the pain I caused her, that it didn't feel completely manipulative, although I used it that way, to join her in that, where I think you two didn't want to, didn't want to share those heart and soul intimacies. And, and again, I wasn't competing with you about that, but it was an interesting dynamic. Well, I think when kids are at that age, I look back and I think I was trying to carve out my identity and individuate. And so sometimes that deep intimacy with a parent, when you're trying to carve out who you are, you're pushing back against that a little bit. I think that was my, it wasn't overt. I wasn't getting into trouble or anything, but that was just my little way of, I'm going to have my little crush and keep it to myself. Whereas you weren't individuating in that way, but you'd also done so much. I said, there's a the, benefit of being a rebel sometimes. And yeah, and you yeah. got that out of your system so early. So by high school, like high you school and I college, started being yeah. friends finally, yep. because you had stopped being such a jerk. The rebel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all the things. So then I think that freed you up because you're like, I got that out of the way. Absolutely, yeah. And so now I can be more authentic with mom. You talked about values a little bit yeah. about the value of reading and organization and clean cleanliness and, so when we're getting back to the music situation, because you're talking about where you guys were competitive and where you weren't, and Kluger talks about de-identification. So though there was no way any Anderson was not going to be musical. So right. that wasn't an option because that's the family, mm -hmm. essentially the mo one of the most, I mean, if not the most important family value. Right behind faith. <laughs> it was right there to combine. For sure. Mm -hmm. And then education. Yeah. So those would be I'd probably the top three. We didn't talk this out before, but I would uh, riffing here. So you had to be a musician in one way, shape, or form, but you de-identified from Warren's path by not going to, dad was multi-talented, mm -hmm. keys mainly, jazz keyboardist, although he could play all the other things. And then Warren goes into keys and then bass as his primary. And then you being athletic, drums came more naturally to you. Which Accidentally. Also, which is also nice. You guys had a rhythm section for mm -hmm. dad's piano. It was beautiful, mm -hmm. but you did in a way... I'll be a musician because I got to be, but it won't be in the way that dad and Warren are. Yeah, It'll as I mentioned, Simon says, though I was having all that success athletically and had a lot of social connection and great friends, even when I was being an idiot, so I never felt any of those issues, not being a part of the family gift, music was profoundly difficult. So when I stumbled into drums, and I remember I barely started keeping time and I had a drum set. I was, so I was gonna say, you were like 12 when you got yeah, it, Yeah, that right? was so dad, right? You barely did. So boom, I have a How whole drum set. How did you first start? I just remember that uh, drum set showing Warren, up underneath the stairs and Warren I could never and dad sleep. Were, uh, Warren and dad were... Warren comes home broken hearted. He's playing like Misty because <laughs> yeah. some girl broke his heart. And then you're like, down, down. I was like, yeah, oh I was my gosh, the, my sleeping days Bird are over. Two in the morning. You were. Yeah. And then dad would never shut it down because he was so Absolutely. excited. It was music. <laughs> no, it was an accidental. I was jealous and also proud listening to Warren and dad practice. I remember they're doing their thing. Dad be on the piano and he's teaching Warren yeah. the bass or really making you learn yourself. And That's I was the on the steps way. and I must have had something in my hands and I was pat tapping something, just wow. kinesthetic energy. And dad stopped. He just stopped right there and turned around and looked at me and went and got a box or two like he would normally do and yeah, said, hey, yeah. just hit on these a little bit. He wasn't revealing himself too early. And then I, I don't think he talked to you about it at that moment. I don't think he talked more to me. He just let me play. And then a couple of days later, he's like, let's try drums. I know you failed piano. He used to be so direct. I know you failed piano, failed trumpet, <laughs> failed guitar, went through all my failures. 
He goes, but I think drums might be it. I'm like, all right, whatever. I wanted to be in that inclusion somehow. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know the importance of bass, piano, and drums as that combo. I, I didn't get that at all. So dad was probably thinking in the back of his mind, oh, if he can drum, <laughs> we got this. And then right. I showed that kinesthetic ability and boom. And not only that, but a a one more positive thing to keep you off the streets. Absolutely. Yeah, to get me a, a, focused on a, the right a, things. Yeah, yeah, and an outlet for all that energy. That and the anger. Yeah, Drums sure. was more important to my anger release than athletics. Yeah. Because I could be angry when I played to a certain extent, but if I went over the top in that rage that I would have with you, like, then I would not be as good, and so I knew how to rein it in. But as a drummer, you can be angry for a three-hour set and kill it. <laughs> so yeah. that's why the anger drums at two in the morning. And with Warren never cared about my sleep. I never cared about yours. Nope. He would decide to play. No my, one cared about sleep in our house. <laughs> no, Dad would play that's at a fact. three in the morning, that too. That is a fact. No, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you stay up till four in the morning. I guess I can't come by it honestly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's no no sleep rhythm. When it came to music again. When yeah, it came to no, music. that was a value. So yeah. I think even subconsciously, he understood how he had worked out angst over the years by sitting down and playing or reliving elements of his childhood or impressing his children by being able to play both the left and the right hand of heart and soul. Mm. I remember the first time he did both. I was going bum ba do de dum ba do de dum do and then I did the other part da 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 ba da ba da ba da and he sat down and said watch this now yeah. <laughs> and played both parts I was astounded yeah, that was <laughs> so yeah. my father is the best piano player in the world yeah, he can play yeah. both the heart and soul he doesn't need some joker to sit next to him and go yeah. bop, bop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and dad's birth order in my opinion as a psychologist family system therapist directed his style of parenting very firstborn male yeah. directive and mom as a youngest super only almost because mm -hmm. of the age gap between yeah. her and uncle jim yeah. fit right into that so she easily surrendered certain pieces of her will to be under dad's leadership and care and loved it and didn't have any issue with it but he gave her leadership in certain areas uh, yeah because yeah. she was the one who if we were on punishment dad probably be like oh it's too much of a hassle to keep him grounded just let him go yeah. mom's like, oh no no, no. no. December 1st at midnight on the dot. Right. <laughs> You're not leaving. So there, yeah. there was this real, again, it they played to each other's strengths in that sense that dad was classic, absent-minded professor, jazz mm -hmm. musician, I mean, random all over the place. And then mom being so structured, just yeah. she grounded. Like we talk about dad all the time because he was just such a presence, just yeah. so much charisma, just he was a force. But then I look at our family and our development Mom was the rock. Yeah, who she was the glue? The anchor. Absolutely, mom. Yeah. She, who's what? Well, you're not playing soccer on Sunday because you're going to Sunday school. Yeah, and when you're stranded somewhere because Dad forgot, right? You didn't try to find Dad. No. You found Mom. Well, you never gave Dad the permission slip. You never get it back. You <laughs> no, gave it to exactly. Mom. You never told Dad I need picked up at seven thirty. Yeah. Now, if you, you needed hundred bucks on the side, you went to then Dad you quick. Get, go to Dad, right. but, because Mom's gonna be like looking at you like really. But that birth order dynamic we witnessed yeah. influenced all of our successful marriages because we found similar complementary. Mine, obviously, the most blatantly the same. All this forceful just energy reversed. and randomness, but right. with a very structured wife, just like dad had. But you guys did it in the same fashion, as I've been challenging you to surrender more to your husband's great organizational detailed structure. Yeah. Let it go, Karen. Let it go. <laughs> Submit to it fully. <laughs> oh, you just lost a whole slew of listeners right I know. there. Submit? Yeah, no. sorry. In the Greek, serve. Be yeah. under your husband's serving. I don't have a problem with su submission, but that's probably a topic for another podcast yeah. episode because... If we look at true submission, and let's bring in what the Bible says about marriage is that mm -hmm. women submit and then women get really upset about that. And then you look at the next verse and it's the men are supposed to sacrifice for their wife the way that As Christ, Christ sa the sacrificed the church. <laughs> yeah. That means dying for your wife That's if really need be. Complete so sacrifice, yeah. I think the women come out just fine in that arrangement if the submission is being respected and cherished yeah. and honored. And our position in birth order makes that yielding together, submitting together in marriage easier than warrants. Because the firstborn, again, is going to naturally think, and with a peacemaking wife, he's going to naturally think, well, my way is probably better. System's probably better. My structure's probably better. Even though Leah is pretty systemic for a middler. But it's still a different framework. You, you mean and I, structured in that? In, in any of that realm. Just the power dynamic of a marital system is going to follow our birth order pretty strongly, in my opinion. And that's one of the things I talk about with couples in premarital work. Hey, you might not even thought about this. Though. Let's just walk this through a little bit. Not everyone's the same. But it's worthy of conversation. And if you look at our three marriages and their success, and they're all lifelong marriages, they do mirror patterns of successful birth order connection. And our relationships together have influenced that for the positive and the negative experiences we did 
that we healed from and we grew from so we could maintain really cool friendships at this stage of life. Well, I do tell Dan that he's really lucky that you guys like had to break me in, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll look at him. I'm like, I'm used to being bossed around by <laughs> yeah, a man. So go right ahead. <laughs> so yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the thing is, and that I feel like I'm really easy with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy him. Like I was single all those years. Yeah. So when I got married, I wasn't looking to run the show anymore. Yeah. I did that. I paid my own bills. I bought my own cars, did all the things. Yeah. So I was happy to let him lead. Yield in certain areas. But yeah. there you know, there will be my passion points where it's absolutely not. And which was really nice that when we, as I step into the stepmother role, and as someone who's a developmental psychologist, there were many times where he looked to me like, what do you think about this? Absolutely. You do have a level of objectivity because you didn't raise this child from diapers on. And you do have a lot of expertise in this area. So him being able to submit in that realm to say, or at least to defer and be interested and curious and respect what I had to say was critical. And because he was a middle son, he was more adept at that or desiring that than I think than an oldest son would have been. Ooh, That's probably very true. And I don't know Dan's older brother much, but I I would bet Dan would agree with me. Oh, I'm agreeing with you as well. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's just different. It's not Dan's brother's fault and it's not Warren's fault that they grew up as oldest their right. whole life and our producer did as well. So I like to tease him about his firstborn <laughs> stat. That's nobody's fault. But no. if you don't recognize it and mm-hmm. what those leanings are, especially in romantic relationships where it's always more intense and more vulnerable, you know, it's going to matter. So I told Angie, I remember telling her up front, even when I met her in a season of depression in my life, when I was rechanging, not rechanging, I was completely blowing up my identity and recreating myself in Christ. And I've often told Warren, he has the most influence in that more than dad in helping me get there because he was more solidified in his faith and his movements and protected me and watched out for me even when we fought. And then I instinctively looked for someone who was going to do something similar, who I could fight with and yet still have intimacy, who would challenge me and think her ways right all the time and just drive me insane, but make me excited at the same time. I needed both of those so I could bounce off and play off just You'd like- You'd be bored. Absolutely. If you had someone who was more compliant. Yeah, they could be wonderful. I'd be bored out of my mind. I'm just going back to the article I had pulled up. Our siblings help us lay down the base of our interpersonal skills. I love it. From friendships, obviously, we learn to play with kids in the playground. Like, I always wanted to go, (laughs) like at Doherty, I'm like, I don't want to play with the boys. I got boys at home. (laughs) I was always very motivated to find best girlfriends, and I always had them. In your neighborhood, too, you had a ton of great girlfriends. And I had that. I had to have that. And I didn't want to scrimmage with the boys. When we'd be playing against Jerry Lynn and Dan mm-hmm. Sipthorpe in soccer, I'd be like, I don't, the boys play too hard. I don't <laughs> yeah, like it. Someone's going to run me over. <laughs> I have to play tackle the two yard line at home and I never get the touchdown. That's right. Never. That was Warren's fault. He didn't let me win. I wasn't going to win. Exactly. How many yeah. times did we play that, Elliot? Seriously. A thousand, probably. <laughs> and I never. Yeah. Won. And it allowed me to get out some gentle violence over you <laughs> so that I didn't want to come hit you for other reasons. So thank you for allowing that to happen. But so. you would randomly hit me for no reason. I would. It was totally yeah. wrong. But it wasn't yeah. like a beat down. Here's another you're welcome to my brothers. Men with sisters are better at talking to girls. For sure. You've just had to have that female energy in your face. And when you said something in a certain way and I went off crying, which happened. All the time. Mm -hmm. You learned, okay, maybe I need to soften this a little bit when I approach a woman. It was funny. For the first 10 years of our life, I thought it was just your problem. I'm sure you did. Yeah, I just realized, what's her problem? Why is she always crying and screaming like a baby? I I didn't realize (laughs) cruelty mattered. I didn't. Warren was pretty tough on me and Mm -hmm. sometimes cruel. And I thought, well, that's just what you do with siblings. Right? And Warren didn't let me win. I wasn't going to let you win. And yeah, that helped us all be successful athletes and competitive people. But I didn't recognize until I was like 17, maybe because I was such a late developer emotionally, how damaging that could be. And that is the irony of being a crisis therapist, someone who helps people heal for a living, is I learned through my own pain, that own recognition. And then I remember when I did that pornography chain letter and it broke mom's heart and she was like bawling and bawling. Somehow that time it meant different to me than all the other times I'd made her cry. But somehow then it started to sink in. I wrote a pornography chain letter with Greg Anderson and Pear Daldron and all those guys and we put it in Mike Roy's book bag. So to make it look like he had this change? No, you we just were idiots. We wrote it all. We were just going back and forth in class. And then we just put it in his book bag without throwing it away. So just like some kind of like, you wrote some story. We pretended. Kind of- sixth grade penthouse letter. Exactly. Oh. I don't and know we is. weren't smart enough to throw it away. We put it in the kid's book bag because all my friends were brilliant, but no one could get out of the rain, as dad would say. <laughs> and so Mike Roy's mom finds it and obviously is devastated. And our names are on it. We didn't even hide our names. Yeah. 
And so that went to the principal and obviously mom being a moral fiber of right. representative Christ at that school, completely devastated her. And this time her tears changed me. Yeah. Empathy was growing. And I remember same time of period hurting you verbally or emotionally or something else. And all of a oh, sudden it I started remember. to matter. It's when you call me thunder thighs mm-hmm. and I'm in seventh grade now. Great time to call a girl Great fat time. thunder thighs. Yeah. Also, I was ugly and I started sobbing hysterically in the back seat in mom's little Honda Civic. Mm. And we were driving out to Doherty for something and you turned around and you were like, I, you, I broke you. Yeah. And then you were like, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. It's really sweet though. And I never forgot it. You said, you're not fat. <laughs> you said, you're not fat at all. And all my friends think you're really pretty. Oh, that's cool. I know. Yeah. And Even friends, if I lied, it was great. No, no maybe. But your friends were really cute. So I was yeah. like, wait a minute. Hold up. What happened? Wait, you're, are you talking Mike Kaufman now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wait, hold up. And Kelly is real cute too. Yeah, so we'll tell him later. <laughs> no, I was probably being sincere because I wasn't really a good liar in that kind of no, context. I, I yeah. believed you. It doesn't matter if you weren't, if you were lying. I'm sticking with the initial <laughs> interpretation. But it really, it, and I'll never forget it because it was, see, this is what we're talking about in this episode. Mom and dad could build into me. I could be the doll babe, the smartest, most beautiful girl to my dad, but it still mattered what you guys Absolutely. thought. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes I wasn't as confident in my early years of dating and things because I was still kind of recovering from, maybe my thighs are fat and I'm not trying to like no, no, make I get feel it. bad. Although no. you could feel just a little bad I right do. now. Though, right? I do, I do feel really <laughs> No, it's but true. I, but that's an example of where we give so much credit to the parents for building into the self-esteem and the mm-hmm. self-concept of their kids, but we can't factor out the siblings, which is why we're talking today. But so many couples, when we dig into stuff and we go back to their family of origin stories, it's not the abuse from mom and dad. Wow. It's abuse from a brother. It's not the torment or the trauma from a church relationship. It's their sister. And that stuff has layers and generational effects. And one of the couples I was working with yesterday, a literal casual comment about a history of incest in their family line was just thrown out there. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, what did you just say? And they said it again. I'm like, we got to stop right there. That is unbelievably traumatic. No, I don't think it impacts me. I don't think about it. I said, it doesn't matter if you think about it. (laughs) That's significant. And in that whole line. And so those kind of things happen all the time. And that's why these sibling things we're talking about, some of it revealing as we go, are so important. They do matter. And when Warren, when I felt he was really proud of me as an athlete, not just competing, jealous or pushing me away. That was when we got to start together on the same team in high school. That was so cool. cool. Yeah. And it wasn't my team yet. It would be shortly. It was Sturzman's team and Dave was getting in the Hall of Fame now, which is really cool. But I was accepted by all his peers because I could play. And that's the masculine way. Really wasn't my age. Can I play? Can I help the team? And I could. But I remember feeling, hey, Warren's not only proud of me, he's going to protect me a little bit from Ed Carson and some of the other guys who could be a little bit mean to the senior freshman thing. And that was huge too. It's that same kind of belief and all of a sudden the relationship changes a little bit. I felt very protective of you at Seven Hills when you got there as a freshman. Some of my buddies were protective of you as well, which is really cool. Yeah. Sean would want to do all kinds of stuff, but if someone K. was messing with you, he'd be there to take care oh, of you. Yeah. So yeah, those I things matter. I think maybe matter. I didn't have a boyfriend my first year because you and your friends were like, no, that's no, Elliot's Sean system. would go right up to somebody and I can't <laughs> repeat what her. he'd say, but he would be very direct. And you were innocent at that stage. I was very and you'd innocent. be in there rocking into the dance and going to town and Sean would be like, no, no okay. No, you, That's why Kelly wanted to dance with me all the time. He's probably protective <laughs> dancing. That's like, my dance partner. He's like, hey, get over here. <laughs> you just weren't aware of the senior masculine mind yet. And Sean was really aware. We'll have to send this podcast to him. He'll love to hear it. But he, yeah, he, that protective piece that we're all talking about is huge. Again, but as a firstborn, who gives you that as a sibling? It doesn't happen. No. It's totally different. He has to self-protect and then figure out how to protect us even when he's not getting protected. And that's a different animal. That's so true. Onlys as well. Onlys don't get that as well. And that's another many positives of being a firstborn. And I'm glad that I am. But it is, on occasion, a little bit of a lonely road. And I didn't have that, which is probably why there are two or three significant relationships. Tony probably being the most obvious one, where I was glad to have an older brother figure because I really didn't have one. And to have someone else take the brunt of the force of nature as it comes to you so that everybody else swims in the wake. There were a couple of times where that felt very helpful. And then at times when I was like, man, I'm paving the way for everybody else. And God bless them, and I hope they appreciate it. But it's a little lonely up here in the front. (laughs) Yeah, and firstborns and onlys 
more often than middles and and babies are more comfortable with older friends and seek out older friendships more than Karen's group and my group, which were primarily peer identified. But yours were older guys that you connect with, played music with and youth group stuff with. And again, and you automatically led everything you got involved with, whether you wanted to or not. Now, part of that was natural gifting. Part of that was temperament. You were so tall and all that and so intelligent, all that. But that is fascinating, too. Because even on your teams that I would connect with, or even our bands that we connect with, you were always in those leadership positions. And so sometimes I could have a more genuine friendship with your friends than you could, Mm -hmm. because you had these authoritative roles that you wanted and you needed and were good at, but it alters relationship. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. And it's hard. It's a difficult process. And being married to an oldest for 33 years now, I understand that way better than I used to and see the similarities, though you guys are very different people. There's a lot of similarity about this responsibility and this, no one can do it like I can do it. And sometimes that's arrogance. Sometimes that's just truth. And I can't always trust or rely on other people the same way, which gets to be lonely. And I have to challenge her and challenge you. Hey, get the team involved. Get the people involved. Let's do it together. And that's a middle child skill. I do it often by challenging you rather than just, hey, Warren, could you please come after your face? Go, what are you doing? So let's go. Let's alter this. And that's part of that dynamic. And babies tend to do that more naturally and don't even have to think about it. You're naturally looking for whom I belong to, who's my group. And you have groups from high school. You have groups from college. You have groups from, you almost have a community, every single group you've ever been a part of. Yeah, I never thought about the friendship dynamic with an oldest and how your role is so I'm in charge. That may not always be the role that is facilitating intimate, peer-to-peer, equal friendships. Yeah, I don't have any scientific evidence of this, but I would be willing to bet the house that firstborns and onlys have fewer close friendships than do any other children. Yeah, because even for, because of that dynamic. I, I was just thinking that when you guys were talking about it, and I was thinking if I'd ever come across any studies on that, but I would be real cur- well, curious you, to do a lit search on You that. mentioned our high school. I loved all the guys that I played basketball with and the folks that I was on the, the newspaper with and student government, but both of you have kept up your high school friendships far better than I have. And... Uh, and my college friendships, the same thing. I loved all those people. And if you're listening, I love you. I really do. <laughs> but life goes on. And I remember at a young age watching Stand By Me. Mm, great movie. And the Stephen Foster short story turned into a film. And Richard Dreyfus reflecting at the very end, mm. sitting there on an old, my gosh, it was a really old personal computer, like one of the early ones. Apple IIe or something. Yeah, something like that. And he said a line, and I have never forgotten it. He's reflecting back on that time and how, of those four, he hasn't kept up with anyone. And he said, friends come in and out of our lives like busboys through the restaurant doors. Hmm. And it hit me. I said, man, that's exactly what has happened in if, for me. Every season, a new season, I have a new group of friends, and they are. They're dear friends, but they have not, those relationships are not nearly as strong as the relationships, even though you might see them fleetingly, the relationships that none of my friends get together once a year and come down and and share, spend a weekend together. Unless you organize it and structured and invited it. Well, yeah, there you go. Right. And then it probably would happen, but then you have to be in charge again and it can't be equality and then it's more work. Yes, exactly. And all my best friends, I do this in personality class and make all of us as students, all of us, the students do it with me to analyze friendships and dating relationships. All of my best friends, and it's pretty spooky, are second sons. Hmm. Todd, Mark, Kelly, Scott, Sean, Mike, Tim is a third son. Alan's the only one in the church group that didn't fit that, but he had older sisters, so he wasn't a firstborn. That's pretty powerful. All across the board. Greg Anderson, another second. Now, Andrew didn't fit. And again, that, there's a couple that don't completely fit, but most of that group, and simply by the fact that I'm able to name 10 or 12 yeah. best friends is something, Warren's yeah. going to hold it. I got two in this work, work, this work right. but, and I would be willing to bet the majority of Karen's best friends, if you've done that social analysis before, have some similar patterns, whatever they may be. But I have. Mm-hmm. But here's where there's a wrinkle in this one. So Heather Skillings from Doherty, mm-hmm. only child. Sarah D. Palma yeah. from middle school, only child. Kate Kuhn, only child. Makes sense to me, yeah. Miriam 
baby by seven years so essentially an only child yeah. so now we're looking at i think and i've analyzed this i think that being the only girl i was like i want a best friend mm-hmm. and i don't want any competition yeah. <laughs> like i don't want a sister in the way of me and my girl sure. and birth order research i think would say that if one of us was passive and didn't matter which one you might have more morphed into a more social connection but you went to the hey we're on our own hill here Yeah, and it's not that we didn't have other good friends in those contexts. I did have groups of friends. Yeah, for sure. But definitely was always looking for that one. I wanted that bestie, always. And do you recollect, I know it would take you a couple minutes to recall the boyfriends, but do you recollect more firstborn or middles? Until Dan, all the major ones were first first college only. Mm -hmm. So second college boyfriend, oldest ex-fiance oldest then we have the outlier yeah he was middle boy and then we have dan and you have some other oh and some ones that were first ones too you're right yeah so you finally saw the light and came to the middle son well that's what happened yeah but But maybe this all makes sense because not that warren was a bad example as an oldest i think he protected you really well and defended you sometimes from me when yeah he saved me from you a lot absolutely so i don't think you have your wound was more for me than him but you did find the connection or the emotional availability intimacy factor easier with me, even when I was a jerk, right? Did we well. were just closer in age too. So we oh. were just closer developmentally. But we were also silly and frivolous and that just wasn't oh, yeah, Warren's we, nature. I don't know like, if dad allowed you to, honestly. You might have had more of that, but- He would be like, be cool. Can you guys just be cool? <laughs> Do you I remember thought, him saying that? I, I don't, but I we thought would, we were. <laughs> I don't know. No, we were just being- freaks and just cracking ourselves up yeah we're going to Mackinac island and speaking a fake language for three straight hours that was enjoyable that was absolutely hilarious but he wasn't going to join us in <laughs> no. that now he didn't enjoy when i get him out of his shell and when i start driving i go through taco bell backwards or something you had a good time with that and some of those maneuvers but it is different and i think these things do mean what we're drawn to and i think you were drawn to that leadership of a firstborn male but relationally it was a better connection with someone like dan who's driven and ambitious like a typical firstborn but more gracious and more yielding and more flexible as a middle son. And highly social for a man, too. Absolutely. Very extroverted, and that fits your value. Yeah, praise so the Lord for that. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Praise God for my husband. So let's talk about one of the things I've been considering as we've been talking about siblings over the last couple of weeks, especially, is this level of authenticity. There's a level of relationship with siblings that you'll never have in any other friendship because another friend can be like, I'm out of here. And certainly siblings cut each other off from time to time. And maybe they have to if there's been a lot of pain in the family dysfunction or whatever. But there's a level of authenticity that I think siblings experience with one another because you're stuck with your siblings. Mm -hmm. And in a way that even your family, because your folks are eventually going to pass on. And your kids are eventually going to launch and your husband or wife shows up halfway through your life or a quarter of the way through your life. But your siblings, it's from jump until we yeah, die. Warren, Warren just said that when he was doing his annual Christmas book read for Judson's Chapel, he was using me as an example with the Home Alone story, which was perfect. And the students love it when we do this brother thing. He doesn't have to ask my permission for that. It's fun and the kids love it. But he did say a poignant comment. I've known Elliot for his whole life. That's exactly what we're talking about. So he knows the complete metamorphosis and change and transformation. Angie just knows the new Elliot and is thankful. That's a a big difference. And like you do too, the cruel, abusive brother. And now you know the pastor, therapist, healer. That's a big difference. Again, all of our people up here are proud and glad of that stuff, but it is different. That longevity. And that's why these longevity friendships are so important. And why I do stay connected with a bunch of my high school and neighborhood friends. They are important because they know the whole person and they accept and love and forgive and peace. And that is huge. When I'm thinking about that level of being seen, and I don't want to assume that every family is like this, but there's that point where you're very raw with your siblings. Mm -hmm. I've screamed at you guys at the top of my lungs in ways I would never scream at anyone else on the planet, period. Sometimes I've, I've wanted you to. Other people? No, you. I've gone after you to get you completely well, it out worked. of sorts. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Again, I'm talking about like the first 12 years of my life. I would scream hysterically. I would run around the house. I would sit on the sofa and kick yeah. and, and punch. And oh, yeah, hand. I would use my nails a lot. You probably still have scars. A bunch of scars up and down my hands. You yeah. deserved them. And no matter how intense any other friendship or romantic partnership ever got, I've never unleashed in that way. 
And so when we're talking about these interpersonal relationships and some of our patterns and the ways that we behave in these interpersonal relationships, that sibling relationship, it seems almost I'm disappointed in the developmental psych folks for letting this Mm -hmm. fly beneath the radar, Mm -hmm. so to speak, for so long. I think that's why it's so significant when we talked about the conflict thing about families and Christmas and holidays on our Instagram on Christmas Eve. We have to treat that vulnerability and authenticity of lifelong knowing each other very graciously and very respectfully. Mm-hmm. And so we enjoy bringing up some of our funny memories, but we've healed a lot together and worked through those stuff. But it's not always appropriate to bring it up at certain times in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And we laughed about certain looks you could give that would just literally lose my crap and just like nuts. It was my only defense. Uh, yeah. I couldn't beat you up. I couldn't win anything we were ever going to play. <laughs> but I remember when, we, when I was married already... Remember the incident when we were living at Conrad's? Oh, yeah. And we're playing Taboo? Yeah. No, it was gestures. Gestures. And I just went after you. Yeah. In front of everybody. Till you totally broke. Yeah. And smacked me in the face. I did. (laughs) On your way to the kitchen or something. No, I was pointing because gestures, it's a charade. So I was pointing at something for the clue for my team with my right hand. And I took my left hand and went, on your head. Yeah. And later, Angie's like, wow. Because she wasn't, she's been that mad at me many times, but she's like, wow, Karen just kind of lost it. I said, that was my fault. I was intentionally going after in a dynamic I shouldn't have done. We healed and forgiven. We can laugh about it, but it's just not right. That's that vulnerability and authenticity of the whole relationship that I used to try to win a game, because how competitive I am, and to make you uncomfortable and get you in a certain aura in front of your boyfriend and others. That's just totally inappropriate. That's that rawness that we know about each other that needs to be treated with great respect and cherished, even when there's times when there's bad, sad memories in there and talk to them one-on-one if we need to, or in this kind of dynamic or share it with the world for this example. But in, <laughs> in that context, because we're trying to help other families, we're not trying to glorify our past. It's just such a vulnerable and valuable piece. And I'm glad we have great friendship and connection now, but we had to earn it. The journey. <laughs> it was not any, at least for me, it was. You guys probably were more ready to have a good friendship. I wasn't, didn't want it. Truly hated you guys for many years. That was my own stuff, not your guys's. But Warren acknowledged and has apologized many times for being pretty mean to me. I've done the same and apologize for being pretty mean to you or abusive to you. And those things matter. And some families never get to that. Yeah. They just have all these right. tough memories. And they'll never call apologizer. The oldest won't yield and say, hey, Elliot, you know what? You are a piece of work. But I really gave it to you many times that launched you into a four-day tirade that you couldn't get out of. And I'm sorry. And if you don't do that, those memories just hold and that weight's still there. And then instead of building each other up as siblings, you're attacking and you're purposely doing what I did to you that game night, which I don't do anymore very often. And <laughs> we got to that point. And so I'm so thankful. But it, for our listeners are saying, right. I don't get along with my siblings at all. That's what I was thinking, yeah. They got to do some of that work. And that's why that sibling wound episode is so important because I have so many anecdotal contextual stories to bring forward and help us heal and yield, whether you're the agitator like me or the instigator or you're the firstborn protector or the last born trying to survive and find your own peace and harmony and not open the door when I knock because you know I might slap you or pull mm-hmm. your hair or something else. And so those things are huge. I just wanted to add that therapeutic piece on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you've used this analogy from time to time, but what you're saying reminds me of the, uh, the adage that being unwilling to forgive is taking your own poison and wanting somebody mm-hmm. else to die or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think you hit Elliot upon a crucial thing is that we're all schmucks at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and we all need constant forgiveness for all of our actions. And as siblings, and sometimes what I have found, not only with YouTube, but in other areas of life, I have to take a one down position, whether I feel that I am in the right or not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for the health of a relationship, I have found I am going to purposely, I got a relationship I'm working on next month that I am going to take a one down position and assume fault that frankly, I don't think is my own necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do that with the hope that will benefit the relationship as a whole. And so with the siblings where the things are so tight, just to be willing to forgive seems like it is a a huge way from what we've been talking about throughout this whole podcast. And if you guys wouldn't have chose to forgive me in those years, early years, both then, presently, 
or then after I started to change and transform and grow, even though we'd all three be successful, we wouldn't have this. My stuff was blatant enough that you had to forgive a little differently. I know you, I needed your forgiveness from stuff too. I know you guys weren't perfect in that, but obviously I was the more blatant, outward, agitational force trying to find myself and identity and all that. And mom and dad's sibling relationships, not a whole lot there. Right. They got out of the chaos, got out of the pain and got complete separation. And I remember thinking, I'm, Warren and I probably had these conversations because by college and early years, when we'd go up and drive to Wisconsin and see them on our own a couple of times, which was really fun. We would talk about like, man, dad doesn't know his siblings at all. And remember dad would always say, why are you guys each other's business all the time? He'd always yeah. tell Warren, why are you doing everything? <laughs> First of all, you trained me as a drummer, trained him as a musical leader. Of course, we're going to be together. Right. But we actually like each other. And he'd be like, oh, what is it going on here? And he goes, but you're fighting all the time. And I know, but at this stage, we're just having fun. We're debating things and we're walking through it. And so he would be super proud of our closeness and intimacy. But at the same time, like, this is a little weird. He didn't understand it. Yeah. And so I think, not that, well, dad's family was a little bit messed up. Reed Simon says, if you want to see some of that. But so we healed and grew. And now we brought that into our kids. And now the cousin relationships are really cool, too. Because that's another whole layer of sibling-esque bonds that we did not have. Right. I don't know. I don't even, can't even name my cousin's names. Now, you guys were closer and at least closer enough to, they know Warren the best, probably. I couldn't even tell you our names of most of them, except for Janice's kids. But there is no cousin relationships. We don't really have them. And that's sad to me. And that was a... That'd be Donnie, Kathy, Eric, Warren, JJ, Lisa, Tim, Pat. That's Eric. the first cousins, right? Yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I don't know if they picked me out of lineup either. So, um, <laughs> my grandma always said Eric. Remember? Yeah, Eric. That's right. She always Eric. said Eric. I was yeah. like, is that Norwegian or something? <laughs> it's so funny. Though. You talk about forgiveness, and as we wrap things up, thinking about that forgiveness and how important it is. As I'm processing internally right now, I'm thinking about yeah. Mm -hmm. But the minute you turned a corner and you're like, let's be friends now. I was like, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I, again, maybe because I repress things. I'm like, all right, that's over and done with. I, that was never hard for me because I just wanted so badly for you guys to affirm me and tell me I'm okay and tell me I'm cool yeah. and tell me that I can hang out with your friends. And of course, when you're young, it is the annoying kid sister, but I wanted to be part of your parties and mm -hmm. your things. And so I was ready to be like, okay, let's be friends. Yeah, but if... Warren wouldn't have blessed me coming into my own. I don't know if I'd have been able to bless you coming into yours. So there's the firstborn modeling where even when I was stealing a little bit of his thunder in yeah. certain regards, because it was valuable in the context and for his team and his friends as well, he accepted it and protected me. And then I was able to do the same with you when you came up as a freshman. And I'm sure it had to drive you nuts that so many of your friends like had crushes on me when I was being a cruel jerk at the same time. But you allowed that piece there. And I don't think you told all your friends, oh, he's really the meanest person in the world. And then when you got to be a freshman, then I did feel that same protection Warren had given me, I gave to you. And that makes a huge difference. And that's got to be with the forgiveness, the grace, and the desire for this to work rather than I don't want to have a crappy brother relationship my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us felt that in some capacity. And so we were really to work through those hard years and the challenges. And even as we bring up stories that we all don't remember, yeah. they mean significance to each of us separately because of milestones and developments. Yeah. It's good for your listeners to know you had a violent side. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Self-advocacy early. You're like, that's enough. No, like I alluded to earlier, I am thankful because it did teach me some spunk that mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have had. I don't know that I innately have that, but it's certainly, dad probably would have given me some of that yeah. genetically and also modeling some of that because dad was, he was calm and then boom. Yeah. <laughs> and mom would say, your dad has a long fuse, but once you <laughs> yeah. reach the end... And I feel like that's how I am. I have a lot of patience and then it's on. Well, in one respect, it speaks to a couple of things, how beautiful redemption can be as a concept and a theory when put in practice. But also we have to be in a position and you were by the time he finally came around, you were ready to be an agent of redemption in his life. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to look past the stuff in the past and you have to acknowledge it not mm -hmm. acknowledge it for what it is yep. give it its due but not sit there and not hang on to that and so to be willing to give the gift of redemption that ultimately comes from god but that we play a role in i think is huge yeah believing yeah. in the best of each other yeah 
which I think you guys did for me when I needed it, and I done it for you guys when you needed it, even if it's not as much dysfunction as it was for me at that point in my life. We still give that to each other. You know, whether we're going through a difficult diagnosis for our children, or infertility, or marriage, believing in the best in each other through that redemption, through the peace, forgiveness that God's given us, and to make the sibling relationship a joy and a bond, and to pass the legacy down that's now different and healthy and whole. Yeah, and I think, I'm just thinking about maybe another subsequent episode where we lasso Warren in again to talk about, we've been just sharing stories and hoping that us sharing our experiences and dynamics as siblings can help someone else reflect on where they are as they reflect back on their family of origin and how some of those dynamics may still be at work in ways that maybe they weren't aware of before, but just to have that, we'll share what's going on with us and then hope that's valuable to someone else, but maybe some more didactic kind of elements in a future episode like how because I think sometimes we talk about these terms of forgiveness and redemption but how what are some brass tacks there maybe and if I had to throw a value into the mix that Warren I think eloquently stated as our top three or you did in summary to Warren's whichever it was I think we said faith music and education the primary spiritual gift of our family is teaching and we see that going to the next generation Amy teaches Austin's teaching Pedro Olivia will end up teaching. It's woven into what we do. We're all professors. We teach even through our relationships. This whole podcast is probably about teaching. Absolutely. He wants to be athletic administration. I don't know if it'll be classroom per se, but coaching. I thought he was thinking about PE. He would be if he doesn't have to do more schooling, I think. And immediately he wants to get in and do game management and all the similar to Austin. Wants to start out in the athletic realm of management. I think he'll move into again that element of teaching. And so the didactic piece you're talking about through the sibling thing, I think is part of who we are, and I think we can share more. Did I use that word correctly? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Still deferring. You got to. Still deferring. <laughs> yeah. And instinctively, when you say he's the best writer, I get competitive, even though I agree. He's so eloquent. Have you I, read his emails? I do. I agree. And yet it makes me want to write more. <laughs> so I'm saying that difference. You're more now. raw. Yeah. You're more like dad style. It's dad was more style. like, get it, get it out there. Yeah. And no flourish and embellishment. So again, it's just, I was just giving the feedback on, I agree, but it makes me want to push to be a better writer, not just defer to it. Does that make sense? So we haven't forgiven or healed or had any redemption. Is that what you're telling me? Not at all. I'm trying to give you insight into the different styles of how we receive things. I completely agree. It motivates me to try to beat him, not to make him worse, to make myself better. That's part of the middle second. Iron sharpening iron in that case. Yeah. Yeah. And when he started to bless my writing, it makes me feel more encouraged Mm -hmm. to keep doing it. Even when I make the same mistakes over and he has to edit it the same every single time, he still has admitted now and acknowledged, not admitted because it wasn't like you had to do it at concession, but acknowledge, hey, your writing skills are getting good. Keep going. Keep practicing. Keep working. I remember him editing the first version of my book and it was back when mom and dad were still in Cincy and it was late night Christmas and you put the book down for a second. You're like, this book is going to really help a lot of women. That's awesome. That was like an offhand comment for him. And I'm like, my big brother said my book's yeah. going to be helpful. You people have a lot of power, you That's oldest. Right. The siblings do they do. understand how much power they have? No, not always. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Pro- think probably they... not to the extent that a conversation like this elicits. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we still have a responsibility to encourage and build him up too, mm-hmm. even though it's a different operation as youngers. Mm-hmm. If we want him to still protect us as the family patriarch and still be in his masculine role of provision and protection and kind of orchestration of family safety, we need to keep encouraging him, supporting him along the way. And I think for the most part, we do. It's just something that we can focus on also. And this is why this sibling dynamic needs a lot more attention in research and in discussion, even in podcasts. And if we can get the big fella here to come join us once in a while, I think it's going to be beneficial to the listeners. I hope so. Next time you got to stand and pace like we do, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. You look completely way too content. And I am very content. All right. Because <laughs> he's like, I'm on the throne. <laughs> That's right. Do we have to bow now or are we just... No, uh, that's over. No. <laughs> yeah, genuflect. No, you're good. All right, All right Elliot, good. give All us right, a prayer. I'll, I'll bless us out. Lord, we thank you for this time, for just sharing as brothers and sisters and as family, as siblings. Thank you for the gift of family. And Lord, for our family and for us as siblings, there was a lot of difficulties and challenges and wounds and meanness and cruelty. And we thank you for the gift of forgiveness and redemption and that we truly have loved each other through and in and even beyond the hard times, not forgetting them, Lord, but giving each other grace, believing in the best about each other and helping each other be the best that we can be, 
as siblings, as friends, as partners in our marriage, as parents, but really allowing the body of Christ and the family of Christ to work together for your greater good. So we thank you for the time to have some fun and share memories, and we hope, Lord, that some of these messages encourages and maybe challenges the listeners to think about their sibling dynamic, maybe reach out, seek some forgiveness, seek some uh, redemption, some opportunity for connection. And as we talk about this more again soon and the sibling wound and how to specifically and strategically heal from some of those uh, painful memories, painful experiences, may you bless that and encourage that. We thank you for Karen and her leadership in this podcast, for our friend and little brother, producer Tim, and for big brother Warren to come sit on his throne and share with us today. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you are the ultimate king and you are on your throne and we do submit and surrender to you each and every day. And we thank you for your grace. Amen. Amen. So that's a little bit of behind the scenes Anderson family lore. And those of you who have been part of the Love and Life family for a while will recognize a lot of the themes from the conversations Elliot and I have had before about our father and mother and the family values that were instilled in us. And we just hope that as you heard some of the ins and outs of our sibling dynamics, that that has provided you with maybe a touchstone for understanding and analyzing your own sibling woundedness that you may have endured and perhaps providing you some hope for healing and for moving into adulthood with strong sibling bonds. Because as we've talked about throughout this series, no one knows you like your siblings know you and no one's known you as long as your siblings. And they are really the people with whom we do life from birth till death. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Be sure to head over to loveandlifemedia.com for more resources and more info. We are continuing to expand the website to include more of Elliot. Uh, He's been a favorite since the beginning of him appearing as a special guest star on the program, and now we're so pleased to have him as legit co-host. So thank you so much, as always. We appreciate your support, and we appreciate your engagement in the Love and Life community. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.